All right, how's everybody doing tonight? Yeah, everybody's all right? Awesome, wow, that's great. I'm glad somebody's awesome. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I can feel I'm tired this week, and uh, I've got an extra busy week, so I know that all of y'all are feeling that as well. So um, we're going to continue looking to God's Word and see what it says. Um, as most of you know that we've been talking the last couple weeks about joy uh, and looking at the book of Philippians and saying, man, what does this say to the world that we live in? And let me tell you guys, I am in the fight with this as much as you are for this fight for joy. Just like today, I was, um, you just had one of those days, you know, where it's like you just, everything doesn't go right. And so I was fighting with this sermon, trying to figure out like, what am I going to say tonight? What does this text mean? And all these logistical things kept coming up, like stuff that needed to get done. I was just like, oh, so frustrated. And then Caroline went out to get groceries. And God, I don't know how it happened, but like somehow I'd parked my car and I hadn't set the emergency brake enough. And it starts, it had somehow in the night had rolled back just a little bit up against the garage door. So Caroline goes to open the garage door. The garage door starts to go up and the lip catches on the, on the um, hitch on my forerunner and just like rips the whole garage door. And the whole garage door is just like, <laughs> and Caroline's like, ah, <laughs> crashing down around her. And she's like, Jonathan. And I'm like, I've got to work on my sermon. <laughs> and I was just like, Man, like, and I was just like, I'm talking about joy. I'm like, I'm talking about like hope and peace. And I'm in the fight as much as with you guys. So I don't want you guys to feel like I'm up here saying like, I've got this figured out. Be like Jonathan. Don't be like Jonathan. (laughs) I am as much trying to figure out how do we get, how do we keep joy And, um, yeah, trying to follow Jesus in the midst of that. So last week, um, we looked at one of the most, um, we looked at a a strange, a a more different passage that didn't have a ton of theology. It wasn't like a super heavy passage. Um, And this week is the total opposite. (laughs) This week is some heavy lifting theology. So um, this is going to be one of the most concentrated pictures of what Christian faith is, of what the gospel actually is. So Um, strap in. This is going to be fun, but I think, I hope that it will be um, enriching for you tonight. So we've been talking about joy. We've been talking about uh, how do we get it? How do we keep it? And we said a lot of things, but tonight we really are going to look at the absolute core of our joyless hearts, the thing that really keeps us, prevents us from joy. And it's, if our, if tonight's passage, I think, shows us one thing, it's one thing, it's that God gives us righteousness through knowing Christ and that leads to joy. God gives us righteousness through knowing Christ which leads to joy. So we're going to look at that in three different things. One, our striving for joy, then God's solution, and the joy in knowing Christ. So let me read our text and then we'll look at, that, look at those three points. So uh, if you have your handout, look with me on the, at the, uh, on the text and I'll read this aloud. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. 
If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, uh, we're in the throes of life, we're in the semester, we're in garage doors falling on our heads, we're in uh, all the stuff that happens in life that tends to make our, our moods swing and our anxiety rise and... Uh, all the things that make us question where you are. And so we need you to be present with us tonight in a special way to show us once again your word and your love for us and to make us joyful. So we pray that your spirit would do that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the first thing I want us to look at tonight is our striving for joy, our striving for joy through our own efforts. So let's start here at the very beginning in verse, I mean, let's start at verse 2. And we'll cycle back to verse 1 in, in a bit. But start, look at verse 2. What is, what is, what's going on here? Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, what is that about? Why is he all of a sudden talking about what feels to be pretty random dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh? Random. What is going on with that? Well, to know that, we need to get a little bit of historical background. Paul is, again, I've said this every week, Paul's writing to a church in Asia Minor. He's writing to a, a, a set of converts to Christianity. Asia Minor, not necessarily Jewish, so they're Gentiles, right? Uh, and so they are, they're converts to Christianity. Christianity arose out of ancient Judaism, but then kind of spread its way around Asia Minor and um, quickly found its way getting into the non-Jewish people, into the Gentile people. Um, but then there's these Jews who are around it who are like, wait a minute, something's, you know, this was our, our thing and now you're joining in. But if you're going to be a part of our religion, you need to act like us. And if you know anything about the Jewish faith, especially the, the old Jewish faith, they had a lot of things that they did that separated them from everybody else, from the Gentiles. They had a lot of rules, a lot of things that you had to do or not do that made you Jewish. They had these identity markers, right? So like the Sabbath and food laws and circumcision. These things that say these are what make us special. These are what make us Jewish. These are what make us ultimately acceptable before God. So now the Gentiles become Christians, right? And all of a sudden the Jews come along and say, okay, well, if you're going to do this, you need to follow all these rules. You got to measure up. If you're, this is what it's going to be, join us. But first, you need to get in. You need to be initiated. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Sabbath. You need to follow all the food laws that we follow. Measure up. In effect, they're saying you need to become Jewish. You need to do the right things. 
And here's the crux. They say, if you don't, if you don't do these things, you aren't righteous, you aren't accepted by God. In fact, they're saying, in effect, you need to do X, Y, and Z to be accepted by God. So now this is where Paul, this is the historical background that Paul is writing to, a set of Gentiles, Christians, who are getting all this pressure to measure up from the Jews. And this is where Paul says here, he turns the tables and he says, look out for these people. The Gentiles, they call, or the Jews, they call you the dogs, but actually they're the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. The Jews, they think they do so good because they follow God's law, but they're actually evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. They say they circumcise. Actually, they're mutilating the flesh by what they're doing. They're wrong. Stay away from them. Why? why? Now, why, why are they wrong? Well, this is a complex thing, and, and we, you know, we've, we talk about this a lot, but basically what they're doing is they're trying to say, the Jews are trying to say, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be right with God. You'll be declared righteous. That's what they're searching for, this declaration of righteousness. And we're going to talk about what that is in just a minute. And um, what I want to contend is, Actually, Paul's saying, watch out for them. And yet at the same time, how often do I find that finger being pointed right back at me, behaving like them, like the Jews? And I'd like to, how does this relate to us? It's because I'd like to contend that all of us, every one of us in this room, believes and thinks and acts like the Jews. Now, what do I mean by that? Does that mean like that word? trying to get circumcised? Well, no. I think it's more subtle than that. Because at the core of what the Jewish people thought was that if I do the right things, then I'll be righteous before God. I'll be accepted by God. If I do the right things, then I'll be okay. I'll be accepted. It's this works-based righteousness. If I work hard enough, then I'll be declared righteous. And what do I mean by works-based righteousness? I mean that that I'm okay, I'm declared acceptable, I'm declared valuable, I'm declared worthy based on how I measure up, how good I do, how well I do, that I'm valuable based on how well I measure up. And I hope you see now how that all of a sudden begins to be how actually you and I live, I think, most of our day, that in college, especially in college, there's all these rules and expectations about what make you okay. These rules that make you accepted and valued, that measure up, that declares you righteous. And we all have our own way of doing this. I think we each find, we all kind of piece together this way that we're trying to make ourselves righteous. Maybe that's not the language we use, but we're all desperately searching for what makes me okay? What makes me acceptable? For some of us, it's in our academics. If we get the right grades, we're declared acceptable. We're declared righteous. For some of us, it's having the perfect post-college job and doing whatever I need to do while I'm in school to get that perfect job, right? I know that was me in college. For some of you, it's having the perfectly curated online presence, the perfect Instagram, the perfect Snapchat. For some of you, it's in your friends. If the right people on your dorm or in RUF 
or in your classes like you, if the right professor likes you, whoever, your boyfriend, girlfriend, if they say you're good, then you're good. I'm valuable. For most of it, it's just sort of a combination of these things, right? We just sort of cobble together these different things that say, this makes me okay, this makes me acceptable, this makes me worthy, this declares me righteous. Here's the long and the short of it. I think we all do this. We are all desperately trying to cobble together a life that says you're valuable, you're acceptable, and you're worthy of love. And if we think we get it, if we can just fit the pieces together, then we'll be joyful, right? If I can just fit these things together, make all the pieces fit. And y'all, I remember I did this. Man, I was the worst at this in college. I went to school, most of you know, I went to college in um, New York City, and there is tons of pressure in New York City, I'm sure you can imagine, um, because New York City attracts, like, the best of the best in the world, like the best artists and the best lawyers and the best money makers and engineers and, like, some of the best schools. And so, in all of this, it just creates this pressure cooker of measure up, measure up, measure up, measure up. And I was like, okay, show me the moon, I'll hit the stars, whatever you want, I'm there. I will measure up. And I will, I'll tell you guys, <laughs> this is so lame. I walked, I wore, <laughs> I, I wore a suit to class every day. Now, my school had a dress code, but still it was not suits. <laughs> so I would walk into class wearing, and the suits did not fit me well. They were like super baggy, and it was pretty bad. So I would walk into school in like this 80s, swimming suit, basically. Uh, and I was just like, man, maybe, maybe this will make me okay. And, and then, of course, there was the academics and the extracurriculars and the athletics. All the things. I was just trying to be like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Because then maybe I'll be okay. Maybe. And I'll tell you what, I was anxious, I was depressed. I remember it. I still do it, but man is brutal. And here's the thing, as we're all trying to cobble this together, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. It doesn't actually give us joy. How do I know that? Because look at the statistics of college students. One half of students are depressed. I'd say even more than that. But statistically, one half are depressed. One in ten are suicidal. And 100% of college students today statistically say they're lonely, that they're anxious, and they're stressed. And so we turn to things like sex and porn and drugs and binging and partying and all this stuff just to feel something, just to feel like at least fake joy. We know it's not real, but we just want to feel something that will put a smile on our face, right? Because we're just trying to feel any kind of acceptance and love and worthiness. We're all rushing around desperately trying to make ourselves acceptable by our own effort. And the only result is stress and anxiety and depression and substance abuse and all the things that you see and experience on this campus, right? And here's, here's the rub. This works-based righteousness, it just can't work. It just can't deliver. And that's Paul's point in verses 4 and 6, 4 through 6. Look at verses 4 through 6. He says... Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has reason to co- in for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, 
As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What is Paul doing there? He's showing his resume. And he's like, I got the best one here. I got the best resume of any of y'all. He's saying, and the equivalent of what he's saying today is he's saying, I have a 4.0 GPA. I am a summa cum laude student. I have an internship at the best company in the world. I am president of the best fraternity. I have the best references. In effect, I have the best bona fides to say I'm okay. I'm acceptable. And yet he says, what is it? He says, it's trash. He says, whatever gain I had, I have counted it as a loss. He says, it's trash. Literally that word where it says rubbish, it's street trash. It's you know what. That's the word he uses. It's almost obscene, the words that he uses. Because that's what he says. My best efforts, my best pedigree, which is better than all of y'all's, is trash. Because it doesn't work. And there's a question in there. Are you, willing, are you willing to look at the things that you're most proud of in your life and say, that's not what makes me significant. That's not what makes me okay. And I doubt many of us are. Why is that? I doubt many of us are willing to say the thing that I am most confident in is the thing that gives me no significance. And yet... How often are we joyless in the midst of that? We're all running around looking for joy in something. So is there hope? Is there, is there actually a solution to this? Is there, actual, is, there, is there a solution to this? Well, absolutely. If we're stuck in this righteousness by faith, how do we actually get joy? How do we actually get that okay declaration that we all desperately want? Well, that's where we move on here to God's solution. God's solution in the gospel, which is a righteousness that comes through faith in knowing Christ. Look with me at verse 9. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Boy, there's a lot happening in here. Look what he says. He's saying here that there is, there is a righteousness, that there's a different righteousness, there's a different okay statement that comes, what does he say? Not from the law, but apart from the law. It's separate from the law. It's separate from all those things that the Jews and that we are trying to piece together to make us okay. There's an okay statement. There's a declaration of your being acceptable and worthy and loved that is apart from and separate from all of the things that you and I are trying to piece together. Man, if that's actually true, holy smokes, that's actually hope. That's, there's hope in that. There's actually good news in that. And righteousness and okayness and acceptance that is separate from your performance. Can you imagine that? Imagine that you are accepted and loved and valued and declared okay, not based on anything that you did or didn't do. Not based on your striving on your effort. And instead of striving, it's a righteousness that's from God that depends on faith. Now that is a huge statement. Righteousness from God that depends on faith And I want to unpack it pretty slowly. First, notice what it says here. It says, 
It says here in verse 9, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness of God. Well, that's, you think, well, what's up with an article? Well, look up at verse 9 where it says earlier, it says, not having a righteousness. Now, there's a big difference there. You think the versus a. Well, a righteousness is just any generic righteousness. Something that any generic statement of you're okay that we're trying to piece together, this one from the law that's just like, this makes me okay. All of a sudden, it's the righteousness. The only one. The one from God. The one that matters. The one that counts. The righteousness that is outside of us. How great does it feel when your professor gives you an A-plus on an assignment? Or when your friends approve of you? Or when your boyfriend or girlfriend says, I love you? It feels amazing when you get that external to you verdict that says you're valuable and worthy. It feels amazing, right? Now, imagine that if God himself, the creator of the universe, comes to you and gives you that statement, I love you. I accept you. You are worthy. You are valuable. That is the declaration of righteousness. It's not by your effort. This is, this is, this is what I'm calling right now. I've been thinking a lot. This is the Christian difference. It's that we're declared righteous not by how hard we're trying, but by faith. And even faith isn't something that we do. We just simply trust Faith is just trusting that we could never cobble together our own declaration of you're okay and saying that God's is enough. That we trust Jesus earned it and gives us that verdict. That's that's the core of the Christian gospel. That's what makes it different from every other system of thought, every other religion, every other social philosophy in the whole world is that it says you don't have to earn it. You don't have to piece your life together. Trust in what God has done for you. Christianity teaches that we are declared righteous by God through faith in Christ. In other words, we get the best, the best verdict of acceptance possible by simply trusting Jesus. We get the best verdict of your acceptance simply by trusting Jesus. There's nothing that we do. And that's why, that's why the gospel is good news. Right? That's why the gospel is good news. Because it means that you can rest from your striving. It means that you can stop saying, man, how am I going to pull my life together to get this acceptance? When big striving offers small acceptance, the gospel says that zero striving means total acceptance. It's the difference between working your whole life at $9 an hour and getting a notice that you've inherited $10 million from a a long-lost aunt. That's the difference. Working your hands to the bone to make tuppence, pennies, versus getting a phone call that says, You've just, been, you've just got $10 million to your name. That's the difference. That's the gospel. Is this righteousness by faith that says you are loved by, not by anything that you do, but by simply trusting Jesus. Now, how does this relate to joy? How does this relate to how you and I actually experience joy in the midst of a busy, crushing semester? How is this declared righteous by God through faith relate to joy? Well, I think it has two, two ways. First, and obviously 
It means that you and I don't have to strive and chase to get joy anymore. Yes, we can work hard. Yes, we should work hard. But it doesn't mean that your value is rooted on that external cobbled together justice statement. There's no more striving, no more trying to urge it. There's no more urgent, desperate efforts to piece it together. And imagine the joy, imagine with me the joy of knowing that nothing can affect you. That you are a daughter or a son of the living God who says, I love you, I cherish you, you are worthy. Full stop. Imagine the joy in having that. Imagine the rest that if you and I actually believed it. And if that's true, then we can rest, we can stop. It means that we, need to, we don't need to chase after this okay, okay verdict, but we can just admit that all of our attempts are just kind of futile flailings that don't really work. So where is that pressure point for you? Where is that spot where you're like, oh man, that stings, I still feel like i got to earn it? We all have it, right? We all have that thing where we're just like, oh, I don't know if I believe this, Jonathan. I don't know if this is real. Apply the gospel to that area in prayer with friends. Press into it. What does it mean to give that thing up and simply receive God's righteousness? I'd love to have that conversation with you. I'm having that conversation with myself every day. So let's get in on it together. The second thing I think this applies to us is a little less obvious, and it's in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. It says here, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And then look at me at verse 10. What does verse 10 says? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now what is this talking about? This knowing Jesus Christ my Lord and knowing Him and His resurrection. Now, this knowledge that Paul's talking about here... This isn't like a factual knowledge. This isn't like a knowledge that, um, where we know the details about it. It's, it's, it's not like we know Napoleon in that we know facts about Napoleon. It's that we know Christ personally. We are in the process of getting to know him relationally. It's sort of like the difference between conocer and saber, where you know someone personally versus you know facts about them, right? One, one is knowledge about something. The other is intimacy with someone. And hear me say this, that intimacy with Jesus is always greater than information about Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus is always greater than information about Jesus. How many of y'all have seen Forrest Gump? Most of you? Yeah. So, Forrest Gump, great movie. What, it's, it's, and here's this character, Forrest Gump, who does all these incredible things, right? So he starts a shrimp company. He runs across America. He's a wartime hero. Uh, He plays football. He makes millions of dollars. And yet, what at the end of the day did he actually want? What did he actually want? Jenny. He wanted to know and be with another person. That's what it means, the surpassing worth for him. All of the other stuff was nothing next to the surpassing worth of knowing Jenny. 
And that's what Paul's point is here, is the surpassing worth, the far exceeding worth. Everything else doesn't matter next to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And yet there's always this in the gospel, there's always this theme of the already and the not yet, right? That we know Jesus and yet we don't know him face to face yet. We don't know him completely. That's what he talks about with the resurrection, right? He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The gospel is this amazing thing, but it's not complete yet. It's already happened. Jesus is risen. He is sitting on his throne, but it hasn't happened finally yet, right? Because we're not with him. We are not resurrected yet. There's a, partially, a partial realization of the gospel not fully realized yet. In some sense, it's complete. In some sense, it's here, but not yet complete. Already, but not yet. Something to look forward to. And so that means that, yes, we know Jesus, but man, we haven't even gotten a taste of it yet. There is so much more to come. So much more intimacy and satisfaction. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ hasn't even been glanced by us yet. And if that's true, that we are declared okay by God and we have the promise of the, of the full enjoyment of the satisfaction of knowing Jesus, man, that gives us hope. That gives us joy. That gives us confidence in the midst of a day where garage doors fall on top of your head. Right? That's where joy comes from. And that's why Paul says at the very beginning of this text, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ because God is at work drawing you to Him, showing more of Himself, bringing you to Him so that you join in His resurrection, declaring His okay verdict, I love you over you. If all of those things are happening right now, then we can actually have some semblance of joy in our world. We can push back against the anxiety and the depression and all. And it's a process. We're not, I'm not saying you're going to walk out of here and, and you're going to feel like you're on cloud nine. Maybe, but I doubt it. I'm not saying by the end of the semester, but I'm saying that there's hope. That there's actually a chance for you and me to actually experience some real joy in our lives. Joy is not just simply happiness of just pasting a smile on our face and going about our day. That sort of thing can be faked. It can be induced by drugs or by a relationship, by just about anything, but it can't last. True joy, true joy, it comes from intimacy with safe people, knowing that you're okay, and knowing that nothing bad can happen. Well, that's what the gospel offers to us. It's intimacy with safe people. We have the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. It's knowing that you're okay in knowing that you have a declaration of righteousness through faith in Christ. And it's knowing that nothing bad can happen. Trusting that Jesus has already been raised from the dead and we too will be raised from Him. Man, if those things are all put together in the gospel, we can actually have some a stab, a, a, an opportunity, a hope for real joy. If that's true, then we can have real joy. And that's why Paul says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this text. Thanks for, first, how it peels back the ways that we are trying to 
All of us trying to piece together our own attempts at righteousness. All of us, Lord, myself, everybody on this campus, um, and how it convicts us, but then, Lord, how it shows us the incredible solution that you've given us in the gospel. That a righteousness apart from us, outside of the law, outside of all of our efforts, is given to us through faith in Christ. Father, give us more and more faith. Help us to have greater and greater intimacy with Christ so that we can say we count everything as a loss, as rubbish, next to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And Lord, we pray that until that time, Lord, we pray you'd come back and that you would make faith sight and that we would have the fullest joy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand.